This morning, Brother John took us a passage from the book of Luke in the 16th chapter. We'll go back to the 16th chapter, uh, back to the book of Luke to the 15th chapter, reading selected passages from Luke 15 and starting with the first verse. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And he spake unto them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? Then verse 8, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house, and seek diligently until she find it. In verse 11, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth unto me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, There arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. This chapter here, and this group of scriptures, contains this response of Jesus to something that he heard somebody say. There were a group of people there. It defines who the group were. There were the publicans and sinners and the Pharisees and the scribes were gathered there. And it says that under their breath, they murmured, they kind of muttered under their breath, the scribes and the Pharisees, that uh, this man, he associates with sinners. They were offended by that. It's strange, isn't it, that these supposedly religious men disdained those that they were supposed to reach in the name of God. And yet that was the case at that time. And as he heard them, and they had supposed that they were out of earshot, He caught on what they were saying, and then it gave him an opportunity to teach. And this is what we have before us tonight. Now, we can assume that when it says here that, um, and he spake this parable unto them, that it was speaking about the scribes and the Pharisees and the publicans and the sinners. So he has this message that he bundles together, and he says, in, in essence, you're spiritually lost when he was communicating to them. And the purpose of doing this was so that he could raise their awareness of the condition that they were in and proclaim to them that when the condition is remedied, there is great joy. So we have three stories. We've got two short ones and one a little longer. And of course, we're familiar with all three, actually, and especially the little longer one. It's more complex and certainly more emotional. It's a great story. But I think it's interesting here that Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes that he spoke this parable unto them. didn't say that he spoke three parables unto them. He spoke this parable unto them, and this parable has three parts. So uh, I think we can draw from that that they're linked together with a common theme, with a common purpose, to speak to a group of people 
that were there out listening to him preach, and he directed that these parables to them. And while directed to them so long ago, they're still relevant to us today. There's a message for us today. So in verse 4 it says that... Um, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine and go out in the wilderness and go after the one that's lost. And essentially what he's communicating to them is that we can be like lost sheep. Sheep get lost. And it happens to them when they nibble their way into lostness. They move from one tuft of grass out in the field to the next, kind of oblivious of where they are or where they're going. It's just that One tuft of grass looks appetizing, so they devour it, and then they just move on to the next tuft of grass. And they just wander from one tuft to the next, tuft to tuft to tuft. If there's an obstacle in their way and they can get through the obstacle, a fence, a little fence or something, they'll go right through the little fence if they spy that the next tuft of grass looks appealing. Until such a time as they may get themselves distanced from the rest of the group, herd, I guess. It's a herd of sheep. And a flock of sheep. They're uh, from the flock of sheep. And they're out on their own and distance away. And they can't find their way back because they're in an unfamiliar place. Well, in much the same way, we kind of nibble at the things of life bit by bit until we find ourselves in a place where we can't find our way back. And that's what Jesus was communicating to this group. Then he goes on and he says, we can be like a lost coin. And the coin is lost through carelessness. It's used kind of, it's, the coin is used in kind of an indifferent way is what he's uh, communicating. It's passed from one hand to another and until it ends up in places where it shouldn't be. And in that place it's lost. It can't be found. And by the way, when the coin is lost, it's useless. It has, no use at all. But remember, even though it is lost, it still has value. And the coin is out there and unable to be used. And essentially, neglect and treasuring uh, what is of true value for us puts us in a place where we are no longer in the place that God wants us to be or where we belong. Simple messages, but very straightforward and understandable. And then he goes on to this third example. It says, we are lost like the prodigal son. And he was lost because of the choices that he made. And his desire for independence from his loving father caused him to leave the safety and security of his childhood home and selfishly and recklessly left. And he spent all that he had without thought of the amount that he had or that it would soon run out. And it communicates to us that in our DNA, people make unfortunate choices. And they that take them away from God, and they find that the road back is harder to find than they expected. Simple stories, very straightforward. But Jesus taught with such clarity and with such purpose and was so understandable. And I wonder, looking back to that time, I just wonder uh, how these parables affected the listeners. The sinners likely identified with the various scenarios, Possibly most with seeing themselves as wandering sheep. They're out doing what they just doing, living. We're sinners. So what we do. And they probably identified with that. 
particular parable. The uh, publicans, they were the tax collectors. They were hated by the Jews, their own people. They were kind of traitors to them, and they collected uh, taxes for the Roman government. I guess as tax collectors, they were intrigued by the lost coin. That probably got their attention. They might have thought that, hey, uh, what's he saying here? You know, he's talking about money. And uh, they might have dialed in on that one. That could have been the case. It's likely that the Pharisees and the scribes, they probably zeroed in on the last parable. And it's likely when they heard that, that they were enraged. They were already irritated at Jesus for the things that he had said and, and for who he claimed that he was. That, they, they didn't like that at all. And they weren't out there to support him out as he was ministering. They were out there to find fault. That's why they were murmuring. And so they were incredibly irritated to begin with, and now they were probably in, enraged. Well, regardless of which story, the idea that they murmured indicates to us that they were not happy at all with what they were hearing, and then they probably got very upset at what they finally heard, and they were great, if they were greatly insulted, it's probably because as they listened to the story of the prodigal son, they were hearing that, they, that the, the young man was a mismanaged his funds. So they were probably thinking, so he's saying that we're, as representatives of God, mismanaging what was given to us? They were probably very, very upset about that. Regardless of how they took the, the message that Jesus gave to them that day, we're so thankful that we have this for us to examine and for us to apply to our lives today. Because we're not so altogether different than those that were out there out on the hillside listening to Jesus. That's society, they kind of represented kind of a broad swath of what society is like. And if we look at this parable, especially of the prodigal son, I think we see, most of us see ourselves there when we look at that. It says about this prodigal son that um, he was living in a stable household, one where, from all um, accounts, especially when you read towards the end of the story, you find that he had a very loving father. And it says that he was restless, that he wanted to get away, that he wanted to go out and do something independent and away from his father. And so he made the most unusual request, and that is, you know, Dad, I don't want to wait until you pass off the scene to get my inheritance. I'd just as soon have my inheritance now. So would you mind splitting your goods between my brother and I and giving us our inheritance now? And you know, this loving father did what his son asked him to do. He actually did give him the inheritance. And what did he do, this young man, this prodigal son? He went and took that inheritance and he left his home and he tells us he went off into a far country and he wasted it in riotous living. In other words, he just took that which was given unto him freely and he completely wasted it away. He used it all up to the point where he was destitute. And further on in the story, we find that he has to get employment in order to sustain himself because now 
all of the friends that he had wasted all this money on had abandoned him. And now he was in a place where he had to figure out how he was going to live. And he goes and gets a job. And for this young man, probably one of the most disgusting jobs that a Jewish young man could have. And that was feeding the pigs. And that was his occupation, feeding pigs. And it tells us in here that he would have fain filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave it unto him. He was employed, not making enough to even eat, and he was still so hungry that he would have eaten the pig food in order to sustain himself, but it wasn't allowed because his job was to feed the pigs the food, not eat the food of the pigs. And at that particular point, something incredible happens in our story. It says that when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? You know, this is, this is such a turning point in this story. It says that when he came to himself, he realized the state of being that he was in and that he needed to do something different. And so it says, I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He, at this particular point, had this uh, realization of how desperate his situation was and how much he needed to change of lifestyle. He decided that I can't stay here. I need to make a change. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to ask him to forgive me. And if you, not to be the son anymore, but I would just even take up on a position as a hired servant. And so it tells us that um, he arose and that the plan that he formulated in his mind, he put into action And that's just what he did. And he went back to his father. And the story tells us that the father who had given him all of that worldly goods and allowed him to leave the home and to go out on his own, when he saw his son afar off, he had compassion on him. And he allowed his son to come back into the home. And he received him as a son again. A beautiful picture. A wonderful picture. And these Pharisees stood afar off, and all they were, were enraged and condemning of the man that gave that story. Well, you know, we're very much like that in our own lives. When we go away from the Lord and we find ourselves to be in a position where we're not exactly sure where we, should, where we are or how we should be or what we should do, we get confused. And sometimes people find when they do that, that it's difficult to find their way back. They're kind of in a fog in in a sense. You know, about three or four years ago, I was doing some traveling, and it was um, some business travel that that was combined with some vacation travel. And so I was traveling within a short period of time uh, back and forth across the United States, as far uh, west as... um, Hawaii and as far east as Washington, D.C., with points in between. And a very, in, through that very consolidated period of time, 
I had spent so many hours on airplanes and so many uh, long nights with business and seminars, etc., that that when I finally landed after that consolidated period of time at PDX one evening, I was absolutely exhausted. As a matter of fact, I at that time remember thinking, I don't think I have ever been as tired as I am tonight. I just so, I've heard people say bone weary. I think that's just the way I felt. I just could hardly put one foot in front of the other. But, you know, I was nearing home. My last assignment, if it were, was to retrieve my luggage, get on the airport shuttle, and go out to the economy parking lot where my car was parked and drive it to go home. And then I would be back and I could climb into bed and relax. But I still had that one thing to do. So I found my luggage on the carousel and I got onto the bus line. And if you're familiar with Portland Airport, there's a red line and the blue line. And so I got on the appropriate color line. And as I got onto that bus, I noticed I was the only person. It was so late at night. I was the only person on that bus. And as we headed out to the um, economy parking lot, the bus driver said to me, he said, you know, he says, this route is a horseshoe-shaped route. Where's your, uh, what, what's the number of your, uh, um, the pole that, where your car is parked? And, and I told him, he says, oh, hey, that's great. He says, rather than stay on my bus the entire time and ride, why don't you just get off right here and it'll be faster for you to get off here rather than take the full horseshoe route and come up on the other side. Just get off here, make the short trip across um, the parking lot, and you'll find your car uh, off in the distance. Well, I was having difficulty reasoning because I was so tired, so I, I just took him into suggestion. I said, okay, great. So I got off the bus, I drug my heavy rollerboard off, overpacked heavy rollerboard, and got off uh, the bus. And, and when I stepped off, I noticed that the, it was just not only super dark, but very, very foggy that night. So so foggy that it was almost as if it was lightly raining. It was so thick. And the bus left me standing there at the bus shelter, and as he, he kind of drove off and soon was just engulfed in the thickness of that fog, and, and off he went. And when my eyes adjusted to where I was, I looked around, and I realized I, I didn't know where I was. I was, I, I, I was confused. I, uh, the, my mind was foggy from fatigue, and I was surrounded by a dense fog, and I was, I just, I was just so 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 overcome with this, I just didn't exactly know where to go. So I looked around a little bit, and, and I thought, maybe maybe off in this direction. So I started heading off, and, and I'm not even sure at this particular point where I helped myself at all. I think I might have gone even the wrong way. And I started off that way, and, and I realized as I stood there kind of looking around, I go, I am lost. I am absolutely, I don't even know where I am. I, I, and I started to feel, because of all the, all the fatigue, that I was feeling very desperate at that moment. But just just off to the distance, some lights came on on a pickup truck, and a guy was pulling out um, to take his rig home. And I thought to myself, I should ask that guy for some help. Maybe he can give me some direction, or maybe even shine his light in the direction of where I think that I should be going, and maybe I can get some help. But in all honesty, I kind of had a brief moment of pride and self-determination. I thought, oh, I'm not going to ask for help. I can figure this out myself. 
and which was a big mistake because I kind of felt really bad when he drove past me. And I kind of wanted to yell after him, but I, I just couldn't do it. So then after he was off in the distance, I tried to gather myself and figure it out. And I was feeling so lost and so desperate that at that moment, I just set my rollerboard on its hand. And I gathered myself and I just looked up and I said, Lord, I, I'm lost. I said, and I, I need to find my way. And I think I could reason this out, but I just can't on my own. I need, and what I said was, I need a moment of clarity. And then I just stopped. And I looked and I realized my bearings based on the sound of the highway to my right, knowing that that would give me a landmark. And I looked off in the distance and it was as if it opened up just for a moment. And I saw the pole with the letter and the number of where my car would be located. And I made my way over there. Because the Lord gave me what I needed most desperately at that time, a moment of clarity. See, that's what this prodigal son had. He, in that desperate condition that he was in, had what, if you'll allow me to term it, a moment of clarity. He said, I will arise. I will go. And then he did exactly that. You know, I think about that at this time of year when I think about camp meeting. You know, it's just a few weeks away, and of course we're all anticipating that, joyfully anticipating, uh, because we know what great blessings come to us at that when we gather together in that way. And I think about the great things that happened at camp meeting. And I think about the best thing that happens at camp meeting. You know what that is, of course. People get saved. And you wonder, what can we do to encourage others And what kind of prayers can we pray to move the hand of the Lord so that people will respond to the gospel call? So that people that are within the confines of the campgrounds that are there, that are unsaved, will respond to the gospel message. What can we pray that will encourage the hand of God to reach out to them in such a way that they can grasp a hold of that life-changing, life-altering message? or for the people that are on the outside that know of what's going on during that two-week event, that sacred two-week event, that they would pay attention to what's going on and that they would seek the Lord as well. That they would think, I need to be there. I need to be on that campgrounds. I need to seek the Lord. And I think to myself, what kind of prayer can we pray? Maybe a prayer like this. Lord, give people a moment of clarity. Help them to reason out what they should do in order to come to the Lord and find the peace that their soul so desperately needs. It was that way for me, actually. I have to tell you, it was over 50 years ago for me. I celebrated that anniversary last summer, 50 years of being saved. I was a young teenager. I came to camp meeting that year, not particularly to come to the meetings, I came there because it was where my friends were. Being born and raised in the church and having so many friends, not only here in Portland, but so many friends that came to the camp meeting from out of town, 
I came along too. And I was there in those days for three weeks. Three-week camp meeting. And I hung around socializing with friends. And of course, my friends were attending the church services. So what did I do? I attended them as well. I needed the Lord in my life. I knew that I did. I had gone astray. I was kind of a prodigal son myself, leaving the Lord behind and trying to seek out my own. Not a good decision, but that was my choice, and I was living with it at that time. And I came to the meetings, and I attended them uh, time after time and until towards the end of camp meeting, at the end of that three weeks. In those days, on um, Friday night, is when we had our ordinance service. That's the way we conducted it in those days. I was hanging with my usual group of friends. They didn't go. Some of them didn't go to the ordinance service, some of the ones that I was hanging with. And so I didn't feel like I should go. So I didn't go. And I went out to this hamburger place, which used to be up on the corner over here. And as we were sitting there, you know, they were making all these comments about what was going on back at the church. They were rather disparaging. And honestly, it sickened me. I knew so much better. I, I mean, I really wanted to serve the Lord. I was just... I was just away, and I felt like at that moment, like I was with the hogs. You know, I kind of felt like I was kind of, you know, with the swine at that time in the pig pen. And I felt so dirty, and I felt so wrong. I had a day to think about that that Saturday, but on that Sunday at a young people's meeting, I sat through that service. The Lord was talking to my heart. And after the service, after the altar call, a cousin of mine, somebody that I palled around with, from all my life, he felt the call to, to pray. And he got down and he was at the altar and he was praying. And I sat in the, uh, behind the front row of chairs watching him pray. And he, as he broke through to salvation, I had a moment of clarity. I realized I want what he has. I need what he has. But I just couldn't get there at that moment. But that night, that evening at the service, I sat down in my usual spot off to the side in the wings there. And that same friend, cousin, who had gotten saved that afternoon sat next to me. And I looked at him. And this is my I will arise moment. I looked at him and I said, I'm not saved. Will you pray for me? And he spread the word to the friends around. And little did I know that there are many, not just him, many people were praying for me. And at that end of that service, when the altar call was given, I made my way to an altar prayer. And I can take you down the path to the spot where I knelt. I can tell you the direction I was facing at that very moment when I cried out to the Lord and he saved my soul. Because the Lord, the faithful God that loves us so much, sent the Holy Spirit my way. And he gave me this moment that I needed where I realized that the Lord could be my Savior. We want that for others too, don't we? That's what we want and that's what we need to see. In this day and age, in this world that we're living in and the challenges that people are facing, we have the best We have what people need in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the forgiveness of sins. We can have the peace and the hope that the world needs. They can have it. They need it. And it's our blessing and our privilege to pray for them and to reach out to others in on in behalf of Jesus. 
May the Lord help us tonight. We have hope. When we have something to consider, we can pray prayers that will move the hand of God. Maybe you're going through something yourself tonight that maybe it isn't a salvation crisis experience. Maybe it's something where you have um, some direction challenges and not sure what's going on. Look to the Lord in just the same way. Ask Him to give you that moment of clarity, shall we call it, in order to give you the direction so you can reason things out and to go the Lord's way and to follow Him in the direction that He wants you to go. And God will help you. God will always stand by your side and help you through the challenges of life and to help you to go the direction that you need to go. And God will help, and He will help us here tonight. He will answer prayer. He'll meet the needs of each and every heart, and we're going to open the altars of prayer tonight as we sing song number 630. Let's come out and pray.